Thank you for joining in to our Bible study this evening. And I want to encourage you, as I do each week, to have your Bible there with you and join me as we study in Mark chapter 6. We've been talking about stewardship, generosity, and tonight we are going to encounter a challenge in our Bible study. Jesus knows exactly what he's going to do. Jesus knows precisely what he's attempting to teach the disciples. And the lesson for us is watching the disciples navigate this scene with Jesus. Now, the disciples have just returned from their first mission. They have performed miracles. They've seen people place trust, believe in Jesus. They've seen lives restored and changed. And upon returning, they're somewhat tired. And God is going to teach them, Jesus is going to reveal to them that no matter what it is that they do or engage in service-wise, they will ultimately always need his provision. Their actions, minus his provision, is utterly useless. They are inept without him. He's going to remind them that there is more to life than they can see on the surface, as we've been studying on Sunday mornings. He's going to teach them what we should know, that we should walk by faith and not by sight. That's really the crux of this message. As one wrote, sight will hinder the work of God, faith will accomplish much. What we can see reveals limitation. Faith believes in the God of the impossible. What we're discussing is the feeding of the 5,000. And in Mark's account, he's going to kind of set the table, as it were, by telling us what Jesus has said to his disciples upon their return. Verse 30, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. So many people coming in and out, they didn't even have time to eat. They're returning from service, and Jesus, recognizing their fatigue, invites them to come apart into a desert place to get away from this busy hectic scene. Verse 32, and they departed into a desert place by ship privately. It was the only way to get away from the press of ministry. But something happens. The people see them sneaking away, as it were, to rest, and many knew him and ran afoot thither out of all cities and outwent them and came together unto him. They knew where he would go in that desert place to rest a while. They knew where their destination was. And so this mass of people runs around the seashore some nine miles. They outrun the disciples, taking their time to cross the sea. And when Jesus and the apostles arrive, this mob of people that they were trying to get away from to rest meets them there. They outran them to that place. 
Now understand, Jesus has already revealed that he knows the disciples have reached a point of limitation. They're tired. They're fatigued. They need to rest. They need to be with him. They have stories they want to tell him and hear from him. And that's what Jesus is attempting to facilitate. Now, he's not ignorant of the fact that this crowd of people is going to beat them to their destination. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he knows precisely what he desires to teach the disciples. The disciples arrive, and you can imagine that there's some heartbreak. They're just like you and I. They're looking for a moment off, and when they arrive... They're mobbed with people. Matthew tells us in his account of this scene in verse 15 of chapter 14, And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. Wrapped up in that verse, we heard, Send them away. Send them away. We tried to get away, they beat us here, now send them away so that we can stay here. They are maxed out. They're genuinely tired. They are genuinely, humanly limited. And they want to send the multitude away. They simply want to be left alone for a moment. I don't think this is an inherently bad attitude. I think it is limitations being reached. They, now wanting to be left alone... We hear the heart set of Jesus. John will tell us in chapter 6, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, Mark will fill in the gap in Mark 6.34, He saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. The disciples reach their limitations, their desire is send the people away. Jesus knows their capacity. But we also just learned that Jesus is compassionate towards this crowd of people that have amassed. Send the multitudes away, the disciples are saying. Jesus, with compassion, has his heart moving towards them. Sending this crowd away had to do with the fact that the disciples at this point in time are aware they're hungry, we're hungry, we offer them nothing, send them away so that they can eat. However, I think wrapped up in there is their attitude toward all of these people. All of these needs that keep on arising, at a point enough is enough. At a point you just say, not now, not here. Not us. There's a tension going on. A need has arisen. People are pressed. People are out of gas. And Jesus is moved with compassion. And that's where he is teaching. In verse 37 of Mark 6, he looks at the apostles. He looks at the disciples who've reached their limit, who know there's a great need and see no capacity to meet it, send them away. Jesus, moved with compassion, says to them these words, Give ye them to eat. You can imagine hearing Jesus say, Give them to eat. All of these needs, all of these hungry people, they need help. And then Jesus says, You help them. As we've studied through this stewardship and generosity, We've seen people acknowledge 
be placed in situations where their limitations are readily apparent, and yet God asks something of them. There's no different here. Tired people really at their wits end with no capacity to solve the present problem, and Jesus has the audacity to say to them, you meet the need. You feed them. I want you to solve this. Obviously, the implication is by me. I want you to meet the need. I want you to take care of the problem. I want you to step up. I want you to solve this. Now, I'd begin reasoning like you'd begin reasoning, like the apostles began reasoning. In effect, how? We have nothing here. Matthew tells us in his account, and we'll jump around the Gospels just a little bit. In Matthew 14, 17, they, the disciples, said unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. When they say we have here but, they're saying all that we have, as we have combed the crowd, is five loaves and two fishes. We don't have much. I know that you're God in the flesh, but five loaves and two fishes don't go very far with thousands gathered. John will tell us in John chapter 6 and verse 7, he singles out Philip. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take even a little. Now it seems like Philip is really going on sight. Philip is doing math. Philip is running the numbers. Philip is the business-minded individual. Philip's taken a head count from what he can see. Philip's aware of what they have in the bag. He knows that five loaves and two fishes have arrived on the scene. He begins to do math, and he says 200 penny worth. Really, one penny was a day's wage, 200 days wage. Uh, that's maybe enough so that everybody could have a little bite, but here's the thing. We don't even have that, and if we did have that, where are we going to go to get the food? This is really business-wise. This is an unsolvable problem. Practically speaking, we've come up with five loaves and two fishes. There's really nothing here that can solve the problem. John will write in verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, I love this moment. Simon Peter's brother saith unto him, There is a lad here which have, and he references, as Matthew told us, the five barley loaves and two small fishes. But you'll note something. In John 6, 9, he says, But what are they among so many? But what are they among so many? Can you hear the doubt? Five loaves. We only have five loaves and two fishes. Philip, really doing the math, doing the head count, adding it all up, has assumed that 200 penny worth isn't enough for everybody to eat to their fill, but everybody might get a little. We don't have that, and there's nowhere to go for food. Andrew steps up, and he says, we do have a lad here with five barley loaves and two fishes, and then he stops. And this is really the moment. But what are they among so many? What difference do five barley loaves and two fishes make? The physical evidence is stacked up against solving this seemingly insurmountable problem. The physical evidence is stacked up against tackling this impossible issue that has arisen until Jesus steps in. Jesus steps in and he says, let me have that little boy's lunch. Let me have the five barley loaves and the two fishes. Now get this, they've already assessed together, all we have is this little bag lunch. Philip doing the math, there's no way to get past this. 
Andrew communicating doubt. What is this little bag lunch among so many people? And Jesus says, let me have that little lunch. Let's just see what I might be able to do with that little lunch. So they hand over the little lunch. If you combine all the gospel accounts, it's really telling what you come up with. You combine them all, you would find that in Luke chapter 9, they are in a desert place. And we've established that. Mark tells us that. We grasp that from John. They're in a place that is far from any market, any center where they could go and get the necessary elements to feed people. Luke chapter 9, he says, we have only five loaves and two fishes. What we have amassed is only a little bit. What we do have is just a meager sum. John has already told us that doing the math, they recognize that if they had to solve the problem, which it seems like it's on their shoulders, they don't have enough money to solve the problem. Back in Matthew, he says, send them away so that they can buy themselves victuals. Let them handle the problem. You can't ask us to tackle something of this magnitude. Let them see to it for themselves. There's only a handful of us. With just a handful of food, what difference can a small group and a little bit actually make? And then Mark says to us in verse 35, the time is far past. I mean, by the time we get to this, it's too late in the day. Everything is stacked up against this problem being solved, which in effect tells us Jesus has the apostles right where he wants them. Physically maxed out. Service needing a break. Heading to a desert place, mind is relieved, and when they get there, they're assaulted by a mob of people with a great need. Their heart, send them away. Let them deal with this problem. Jesus, moved with compassion, looks at the issue and says to the apostles, you feed them. You solve this problem. You take care of this need. But all the physical evidence says it can't be done. And then John tells us something that's of utmost importance in John 6, 6. It says, And this said he to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus already knew what he would do. This entire journey to the desert place was set for Jesus to teach them about his provision. People who had just returned from their first mission, miracles, salvations, lives restored, now he's going to say, everything that you do of your own volition, inept, useless without me. You still need me. And what I can do with your little gift and what I can do with your little faith is solve the impossible. Is take all the physical evidence that seems like it's insurmountable and push it off to the side because now I'm involved. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. They were confronted with a need that he had orchestrated and they are now faced with the insurmountable task and yet Jesus already knew what he was going to do. And so Jesus has the people sit down. Let me read what one commentator said. Here you have the responses of Philip and Andrew. Philip says the situation is hopeless. Andrew says maybe a miracle is possible. Philip produces figures to show what could not be done. Andrew brings food hoping something could be done. And Philip 
Jesus would reveal his superiority to these statistical impossibilities and to Andrew, Jesus justifies his faith even small. Philip and Andrew are kind of the two central figures here. Philip is taking a look at the physical things and he's saying can't be done. Andrew seems like he's got a little faith. Well, I have found a little lunch and I know it's not much among so many, but just perhaps something could be done. Jesus is proving them. He wants to show them something about his ability to provide. Now we sit here and we think to ourselves, you know, Jesus could have just snapped his fingers. This problem could have been solved. Jesus knew the disciples really didn't have 200 penny worth. He knew they were in a desert place. He knew the time was far spent and the day was almost over. He knew they were exhausted. He understood all of this. He could have just snapped his fingers and solved the problem, but he's teaching something. He wants to take their feeble little faith and show them how great his provision is. So he has the people sit down. John six eleven says this, And Jesus took the loaves... And when he had given thanks, he distributed, not directly to the people, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. It's an all-you-can-eat buffet. Yet Jesus does some intentional things here. I love the phraseology. Jesus took the loaves. So there's a mom who had made a lunch for her son, who, when Andrew is combing the crowd, looking for some food to see what they can drum up, comes across. There's willingness from this little lad to give Andrew this meager sum of food, and now Andrew comes back, (laughs) comes back, and it's almost laughable, needing to feed thousands of people. He shows up with this little basket of food, and he kind of holds it out, like, well, we do have this. Now he has to give it to Jesus. And once it's in Jesus' hands, the multiplication begins to take place. And rather than cutting the disciples out, Jesus fortifies their faith by taking the bread and breaking it and taking the fish and multiplying it and giving it right back to the disciples so that the disciples can then in turn take it and give it to the people. Here is the main point. Jesus is glorified in this. He's the hinge on which the whole story turns. And in verse 14 of John 6, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. The people are amazed, obviously. This is incredible. They want to make him king. They want to hold a coronation out there in this desert place. So Jesus slips away. His time has not yet come. He has come to seek and to save that which is lost, not to become a ruling king. Philip took a look at the physical circumstances and arrives that life is by sight. This can't be solved. Andrew took a look at the circumstances and has some meager faith. Here's a little lunch that maybe something can be done with it. Can you see the lesson Jesus is looking at them and saying, you solve the problem. And and, and that happens for us. How, How much is enough? All we can be accountable for is what we have. All we can be accountable for is what we have to steward. And then generously, cheerfully, we give that back to Jesus and let Jesus do with it what we never could. 
Five loaves and two fishes is not going to solve the problem. 200 pennyworth is not going to solve the problem. The solution is not what we have. The solution is giving what we have into the hands of the Lord and letting him do something with it. Ultimately, that's the practical nature of grace. It's a gift. So the practical outgrowth of the gift of grace is then giving. Unrecompensed favor and kindness. That's what grace is. And so we generously return grace. It's practical for us to give. Every now and again, we enter a season of life where some issues, obstacles, challenges, things seem insurmountable. And yet, we do have something. But the something that we have is maybe laughable. It's like Moses who only saw his physical limitations. It's like the widow of Zarephath who just had a little bit. Think it's now us in this moment with the apostles and all they really have is this little lunch. It's not about what we have. It's about what we do with what we have. And if we do with what we have, what the Bible teaches us to do, then what we have can be multiplied in miraculous ways, ways that we cannot comprehend or understand. There's more than what we see here. There's more than this temporal world. There is more than this. Take what we have, give it into the hands of Jesus, and let him do something with it. Even if it's laughably small, give with a cheerful heart. Give as we have purposed in our hearts, as directed and led by the Holy Spirit, and watch what God can do. Get it into his hands. He does something, and then the incredible thing is, he allows us to participate in it. The disciples got to distribute, and then each of them got a leftover basket. Just to say, without me, your service is useless. Without me, it's all inept. If you'll partner with me, look what you can be a part of. Look what you can see done. Look what God can do with the little bit that we have. Let's pray about participating generously. Even if what we have is laughably small, you cannot comprehend this side of heaven what God can do with it. He'll always bless obedience and that cheerful, generous heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, for this incredible story that has been kept preserved for us to study and learn from. Thank you for the transparency, allowing us to see this dialogue with the apostles. Help us to grow in our faith. Help us to give our little, believing you can do much with it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.